0: Amen. We serve a great and a mighty God. Today we're going to spend some time in his word as we think about the idea that Jesus came not just to be our savior, but our servant. Think about that, that Jesus came to serve you so that you might be saved. That's the theme of the gospel of Mark as we work our way uh, through this uh, this good news that Mark has uh, handed down to us. Today, we are in Mark chapter four. If you have your Bibles, you wanna turn there as we come to a little section that we're call, calling unstoppable growth, unstoppable growth. I read a story about a beach near Perranporth, Cornwall. That's in Great Britain. They say it's unlike any other stretch of coast in the world. Not for its breakers or its sand, but for what regularly washes up In the surf, tens of thousands of toy Lego parts. (laughs) How many of you like Legos? How many of you have ever stepped on a Lego with bare feet that your kids or your grandkids lay? That does not feel good. Well, back in 1997, it seems that a shipping container filled with millions of Lego pieces went under the waves off the coast of Great Britain. As a result, 62 containers on board the ship were washed overboard, and one of those containers had nearly 4.8 million pieces of Lego bound for the United States. Now, nobody really knows what happened next or even what was in the other 61 containers, but these Lego pieces started washing up in both the south and north coasts of Cornwall. And in a quirky twist, many of these little Lego items were nautical themed. So the locals and tourists alike have found miniature cutlasses and flippers and spear guns and seagrass and scuba gear, as well as dragons. And so if you were to take a lovely stroll on Perinporth Beach, you might have your focus drawn from the sound of the crashing waves and just start imagining the creative Lego builds that you could make from the things you find on the beach. For over two decades now, Lego pieces of all shapes and sizes and colors have continued to wash up on the shore there. An oceanographer who studies the currents and whatnot has been studying this story for years, and he offered a simple lesson. He said, the most profound lesson I've learned from this Lego story is that the things that go to the bottom of the sea don't stay there. They can be carried around the world, seemingly randomly, but subject to the planet's currents and tides. The incident is a perfect example of how, even when inside a steel container, sunken items don't stay sunk. Well, I like that story because it makes me think of this you know, certain things in our spiritual life don't stay sunk forever. Like these Lego pieces, these spiritual realities have a way of eventually rising to the surface. And the question is, what will we do when we come across these signs in our life sticking up out of the sand of our life, if you will, like mysteriously appearing Lego pieces? Think about the gospel of grace itself is a message that confounds our expectations, it tells us things are not as they seem. That's the message of the gospel, that things aren't the way they seem in this world. God has a completely different plan. And as followers of Christ, sometimes we can grow discouraged by the fact that it seems like many of the powers and established structures in this world seem to be overshadowing the emerging kingdom of God. But Jesus encourages his followers to trust that God's purposes, his ideas, his plans, which at times seem to grow slowly, will be accomplished, despite what might seem to us as slowness or setbacks. And so the mysterious nature of God's kingdom shouldn't surprise us, but it should instead delight us, kind of like discovering an unexpected toy washed up on the beach, In our text today, we're going to look at four short parables of Jesus that remind us of the unstoppable and sometimes mysterious growth of the gospel. You might remember that last week we explored the parable of the soils, and we learned that when the seed of the gospel gets into our heart, amazing growth can happen. You might remember that we said that the word parable means to throw something beside something else. It has the idea of placing two things together in order to teach a spiritual truth. So in today's text, Jesus employs four brief metaphors or parables to explain how the, growth, the gospel grows, how the gospel grows, and what we are to do with it once it has been implanted in our lives. And so let's take a look at these four little gospels in Mark chapter 4. First, we are called to release the light. Release the light. We see this in Jesus' first parable that he mentions here, beginning in verse 21. It's represented by the lamp. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so the picture here is of an oil lamp that is designed to light up a room. In that culture, in those ancient days, these lamps were often put on a table or on a little nook carved out of the wall in order to remove the darkness. And it would be totally absurd to take that lamp and take it into your little home and then to put it under a basket or under the bed. That just wouldn't make sense. And so the main application is that Jesus himself came as the light of the world. And why did he come? To invade the surrounding darkness. Christ was hidden from many at the beginning, but is now brought out into the world. You know, by its very nature, light is meant to reveal and to be revealed. And truth is the same way. The truth of the gospel. And God promises that his truth will be revealed. We must not hide the light. If we have the truth of God in our life, then we have a solemn responsibility to spread that truth in whatever way God gives us opportunity. It's just like someone who, let's say, had the cure for some life-threatening disease. They would have the moral responsibility to spread that cure, not to keep it to themselves. God didn't light our lamps so that they would remain hidden. Well, this leads then into Jesus' second parable in this little section. And we see that as the gospel grows, that we are called to pay attention to the truth. And that is... That is illustrated by the cup or the measure. In verses 24 and 25, they help us to see that the more that we listen, the more that we'll learn. Listen to Jesus' words. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We call this the principle of reciprocity. We get out what we put in. Every time you receive God's word with eagerness, with openness, with excitement, then God will give you more. Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. Literally, that means look at what you hear. That's what the word there means. Look at what you hear to see something physical with spiritual results. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So how do we look at or pay attention to what we hear? In the parallel account of this passage in Luke, Luke quotes Jesus as saying, take care then of how, that, of how you hear. Take care of how you hear. And so we are to be gatekeepers about what goes into our minds Paul expands on this idea in 2 Corinthians 10 when he says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so let's kind of just flesh this idea out a little bit more. If we have a high capacity for knowing, then God will pour knowledge into us. If we bring a big bucket, God will fill it up and then some. And still more will be added to you, Jesus says. For to the one who has, more will be given. That reminds me of Paul's words in Ephesians 3 when he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, far more abundantly, God wants to fill up your bucket. He doesn't want you to bring a teaspoon, He wants you to bring a bucket so that he can fill you with goodness, with knowledge. But if we have a distracted capacity for knowing, then guess what's going to happen? Our knowledge is going to be diminished. It's going to decline. The end of verse 25 is a bit ominous. Jesus says, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And it's kind of obvious but also profound. If you want to know, you will know. If you want to know the truth of Scripture, of God's ways, you will know. Just put your bucket out and God will fill it up. But if you don't want to know, if you aren't eager to know, if you bring a teaspoon to the party instead of a bucket, you're not going to get much. And to say it another way, people do what they want to do. We do what we want to do. And so if you want a lot from God, come expecting to receive a lot. You remember a number of years ago that somebody came out with this acronym, GIGO, GIGO. It stands for Garbage In, Garbage Out. It's a concept that comes out of the computer science and mathematics world. The quality of output is determined by the quality of input. If you put garbage in, garbage is going to come out. If our focus in this world is on fantasy, on fiction, on entertainment, then we're not going to pay close attention to the truth. And our ability to know him is going to be short-circuited. If we fill our minds with ideas about current events and politics and sports and trivia, then the more that we do with the truth of God, more than we do with the truth of God's word, then we're going to be in trouble. We'll be ineffective at best and even run the risk of losing the truth completely. Garbage in, garbage out. And so what measure are you using? The big container or the little one? Make sure it's big enough and then let God add even more. Well, this leads then into that third little parable that Jesus strings together. As the gospel grows, we are called to plant with patient expectation. This is seen in the parable of the seed. Recently, I was talking to a pastor friend, probably a few weeks ago, and he he said, You know, sometimes I wonder if preaching is really worth it. And he shared that he had just shared some deep biblical truths with someone and they had completely rejected it and it was discouraged. And then I told him about a time I heard a sermon where the preacher started by saying something like this Does preaching even matter? Some of you have heard hundreds of sermons, but little seems to change in your life. He said, I've heard thousands of sermons and personally preached hundreds of others. And sometimes I get down about how little I've changed. Is it really worth it? Why don't we see more growth? And so, with this parable of the growing plant, we are reminded that sometimes there is a mystery about how spiritual growth happens. Let's look at Jesus' words here in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle, Because the harvest has come. You know, one of our tasks as Christ followers is to sow the seed of God's word. Notice in the text it says, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. I I love hearing how people are scattering seed seed. In their life, just this past week, a lady in our church was sharing with me some feedback from a sermon from a couple of weeks ago, and she said she was convicted at work. She saw a coworker that was just really struggling with a particular issue, and so she looked for a moment to go to that coworker, and she said, "Can I pray for you?" The coworker said, "Oh, I'm not a praying person," and our friend from church here said, "That's okay. I'll pray for you." And she put her arm around her and she prayed for this woman. The woman erupted in tears. She has begun the steps of sowing seed into this co-worker's life. I'm aware of another woman in our church that regularly goes out into the community to distribute Christian literature, much of the time to people that she doesn't even know. Sowing seed. Sowing seed. Knowing not where it might go or what it might do. Because we're called to do it. The seed is sown, but the farmer can't make the growth happen. He doesn't dig up the seed then, does he, to see if germination has taken place? No. He might water and he might remove some weeds, but he doesn't touch the seed. We can sow, but we can't make the seed sprout. No matter if the farmer is sleeping or doing something else, the growth of the seed is in God's hands. Look at the text here. The farmer sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. The farmer goes through his daily routines without exerting any extra energy into the plant to make it sprout. That just happens on its own. Then look at the last phrase in verse 27. And then things grow, but he knows not how. I think this is a good reminder for us that the gospel message cannot be manipulated. It can't be managed. It can't be marketed. The seed of the gospel grows, and we don't always know how. And that's okay. In verse 28, we see that something spontaneous happens when the seed is put into the soil. The earth produces how? By itself. The phrase all by itself is where we get the English word automatic. It's the idea of self-action or without visible uh, cause. And so you think about that. The seed just automatically grows. When we plant the seeds of the gospel, God has an automatic way of working on that seed apart from us, apart from what we're doing. We can't make the seed grow. We can't even fully explain how it grows. And this statement describes the organic growth that explodes underground, leading to an impressive growth above. Just like the seed germinates out of sight, so too the seed of the gospel. The seed of the gospel begins to grow, sometimes long before it ever pops through the ground and begins to show. And so, I want to say this to all of us, if we're weary of sowing the seed, if we're tired of all the weeds, then we might want to be reminded of Paul's words in Galatians 6, 9, when he says, let us, brothers and sisters, not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Isn't that a great reminder from the Apostle Paul? Hudson Taylor was a pioneer missionary to China. And he used to say that there are three qualifications for a ministry, or a missionary. Three qualifications for a missionary. Number one, patience. Number two, patience. And number three, guess what? Patience. That's right. And so here's how we might summarize this parable Our part is to sow, God's part is to make things grow. The growth might appear to us to be slow, but it will eventually grow. The Apostle Paul again reminds us in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Paul said, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so the mystery of the gospel growing in people's lives is the mystery that God is busy revealing. It's not our job to take care of the revealing. Our job is just to be obedient in planting the seeds. In my reading, I came across this great list of uh, eight fast facts about spiritual growth. I'm just going to list them here for you. Eight fast facts about spiritual growth. Number one, it's it's normal to not see immediate results from evangelism. You may simply be the first in a long line of seed sowers. I like that. Number two, it's normal for a Christian to grow. If you're not growing, something is wrong. So figure it out. Number three, germination is spontaneous, but growth is not instantaneous. Growth takes time. Number four, growth is not always easy to measure. Number five, be gracious with those who still need to grow. There's a big one. Number six, be intentional about your own growth. By the way, if we combine number five and number six, how about worrying about yourself first before worrying about others and how you're growing? Number seven, help others grow, but remember that God brings the real growth. And so we might be involved in that process, but let's entrust overall the process to the Lord. And then number eight, Sow the seeds in your children and in your grandchildren and then wait for them to sprout. Let's be busy sowing seeds wherever we can in obedience and then trusting God to take care of the process. Well, this brings us then to the fourth parable in Jesus's little chain of stories here. Number four, the fourth parable, Jesus teaches us that we are to, as the gospel grows, we are called to experience the growth. Experience the growth. And this is seen in the plant. In this final parable, we see that the smallest seed grows into the tallest shrub. Verse 30. And Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, Is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, and yet when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So, in order to compare how the kingdom of God works, Jesus focuses here on something that is very small. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say that the kingdom comes like a a gigantic mountain or a rushing river but instead like a seed that is so small that it's hard to even see. You know, when Jesus first shared this parable, he was speaking to people in his culture. Those that were listening to him were expecting the kingdom of God to come with an army. They were expecting the kingdom of God to come with great fanfare and mighty victory where judgment would be immediate and the Messiah would set up his reign on the throne in Jerusalem. That's what they were looking for. That's not what happened, though, is it? You know, I read that it takes about 750 mustard seeds to make up a single gram, and then there are about 21,000 seeds in an ounce. That's pretty small seeds, isn't it? I want you to think about how Jesus entered into this world. He was born in a small way in a little town of Bethlehem. Jesus was reared in the backwaters of Galilee in a dirty village called Nazareth that nobody loved and nobody cared about. Jesus' parentage was questioned. His first followers were a ragtag team of misfits. He was rejected by his own people. He was despised by others. You know the rest. He was crucified as a common criminal. And eventually, his body was buried in a borrowed tomb. Talk about small, insignificant, unimportant. But look at what happens next. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. The smallest turns into the tallest. The mustard bush becomes a shrub-like plant that kind of even looks like a tree, some of them can grow upwards of 15 feet in the air. When the seed was planted, initially it looked like nothing much was happening. Jesus started with just a very few followers. 12, one of them rejected him. But then when we get to Acts chapter 1, it says there were about 120, a band of 120 devoted followers of Jesus. But then the day of Pentecost came, didn't it? And 3,000 were baptized into Christ at one time. A short time later, there were 5,000 followers. And within months, Bible scholars estimate that number had swelled to over 50,000 there in the city of Jerusalem. And folks, the growth of the gospel continues today. It's continued through all the centuries From the first century to the 21st century where we live today, listen where it's going. Revelation chapter 7, in verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Isn't that a powerful picture? That's our destiny. That is the destiny of the kingdom of God. It started so small in such an insignificant way, but it ends in a big, a powerful way. Folks, that is our future unstoppable growth whether we see it happening in our lifetime in our little corner of this world that growth is happening and it continues to happen until the Lord comes again and so this is a good reminder for us to not look down on the little and the least and the lost God loves to take what appears to be insignificant and to do amazing things. And our role is simply to experience the process. Notice that the mustard shrub puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That's a wonderful little picture, and I was looking at that trying to figure out, what does that mean? Commentators had all kinds of different ideas, but I found this one that really resonated for me. One writer said, That the gospel goes to all nations. And when it does, it provides comfort wherever it has germinated. The branches going out. The birds building their nests under the shade. Comfort wherever the seed has been germinated. Well, like many classic Spanish dishes, a basic dish of paella is a simple combination of just a few classic ingredients, rice, seafood, and a handful of vegetables. Other than those ingredients, the dish is flavored with a single spice, saffron. Saffron in itself is fascinating. It's prized for its quality as is both a spice and a coloring agent, and it has been traded as a commodity for thousands of years. You see, saffron is not made, it is harvested from flowers, When a certain type of crocus flower is in bloom, delicate inner structures of the flower, the stigmas and the stylus, are carefully plucked by hand, one by one. These deep, maroon, thread-like parts are then carefully preserved and dried. Because of the difficulty related to this cultivating and harvesting process, saffron is by far the most expensive of all the spices. It's more expensive pound for pound than gold. That's how valuable it is. Fortunately, a little bit goes a long way. Just a small pinch of saffron crushed with a mortar and pestle will season a a large dish of paella, large enough to feed 12 or 15 people. It doesn't just infuse the dish with its telltale bright yellow color. It imparts a, a heady, earthy aroma and a flavor that leaves a deep impression on both your palate and your memory. According to Jesus, faith is like that. Like a mustard seed or perhaps a saffron thread. A little bit goes a long way and it leaves a lasting impression. You see, brothers and sisters, when people are Obedient to share the good news of Jesus in a culture, in a society, then compassion and morality spring up. Hospitals and schools and orphanages take root. Relationships are enhanced. People of peace bringing peace into a community. That is our role as followers of Jesus. Not to change the laws of the world around us. Not to protest. Not to fight but to be people of peace, bringing the message of peace that can change people's lives one person at a time. When we are obedient to our role, when we represent him with his focus, with his urgency to seek and save the lost, to minister to the least and to provide comfort and care and compassion to those who are struggling, That is at the root of the gospel message. And we do this all the while we are promoting the good news of Jesus. That is our calling. That is our purpose. There is no other. And so as we close this morning, I want to just give you four very specific ways, even this week, that you could begin to begin to sow seeds in the world around you. So here they are. Number one, make a plan. Make a plan to sow gospel seeds right in your neighborhood. Commit a day or an evening each month specifically to hang out with an unchurched neighbor or friend. Figure out a way. Invite them over for a meal or a game night or some other event at your home, but figure out a way to intersect your unchurched friends with your church friends. To be a bridge builder so that seeds can begin to be sown. That's number one. Number two, how about joining us for our mor- Monday morning prayer group here in our library. We meet each Monday morning at 6.30. And one of the things that we always pray for are people who are far from God. And so if you're available at 6.30 in the morning on Monday, we invite you to come and pray with us as we pray about planting seeds and God's work in people far from him. Number three, here's another way. You can continue to invest in kingdom growth right here at Garden Way Church by giving generously, which I believe is one of the strengths of this congregation. You know, the last couple of weeks, I just put out a simple announcement about giving. If you wanted to give $25, you could sponsor a a kid Uh, on August 29th, and they'll get a brand new pair of shoes, a backpack filled with supplies during Project Hope. And in that informal way, $1,700 came in. We raised that much in just two weeks in order to provide those materials for 68 kids. Isn't that great? Those are ways that we are investing in our community. Every time you give a dollar to this church, 13% of it goes to support our missionaries. And all of those missionaries are invested in sowing the seeds of gospel truth. And a number of them are focusing specifically on unreached peoples. So you can continue to give generously. And then number four, this is one I came across just a few weeks ago. You can participate in the Joshua Project. And you can do that by downloading the Joshua Project app on your tablet or your smartphone, or you can go on your computer to their website, and you can sign up to get a daily email, and you can receive information about a different unreached people group every week that you can pray for. Isn't that a great way of just focusing on praying for people that are in need? Their greatest need is Jesus. So, uh, if you've got your uh, sermon outline today on the bottom, there's the website there. And I encourage you to sign up. Get the weekly email and start praying for people far from God. I'm sure you can think creatively of many other ways in which you can begin to sow seeds in obedience. As God then can be busy about bringing the increase whether it's right here in this local church, in our community, in our country, or around the world. But it all starts with us taking the first steps and then stepping back and watching God's unstoppable growth. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that we have had the opportunity to receive the good news and Father, now I pray that we would not hold on to that good news selfishly, Lord, but that we would be active and passionate and desirous to plant the seeds of good news wherever you might take us, Lord, whether it's to our next door neighbor, to our community, to our relative, to a coworker, Lord, help us to have the eyes of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus, Lord. We pray that so that we would see opportunities to plant seeds. Lord, may we be faithful in prayer as we pray for people far from God. Lord, may we be generous so that we can invest in kingdom growth. And Father, may we be committed, committed to obedience to you, to your word, and to your great commission, to sow seeds of truth around the world. Go with us today, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you this week as you look for opportunities to plant seeds. Let's stand together for our closing song.